questions for God. And in God's sovereignty, you know, I mentioned last week that we wrote down this sermon series, uh, like where do we go when we die? What happens when we die? Uh, why is there suffering? Uh, why is there pain? And different things like that. We sovereignly put that down in August, uh, not knowing what we would experience in our personal family. But we know that God really is sovereign and God really is good. Amen. And so we're just excited to preach and share the gospel with you guys today and glad you're here. Why don't you turn to your neighbor and just say, I'm glad you're here. If you got your Bibles or the Bible app, and actually, if you ever want to download the actual outline of my sermon, I give that for all of our life group leaders. You just go to our website and you click resources sermon notes, and it's right there. So I know some of you like to read ahead. You're the get up at 5 a.m. people. You could do that if you'd like. First Thessalonians, I'm not the 5 a.m., the notes. I mean, I don't get up at 5, but you do you. All right, First Thessalonians 5, 9 through 10. For God has not destined us for wrath. That's a, can we all read this together? I love when we read this key scripture together. Let's all read it together. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. That sounds like eternity, doesn't it? Right? God has set eternity in the heart of every person. It's in my office, in, uh, in my basement. There's a big sign. God has set eternity in the heart of every person. I just love that, that scripture from Ecclesiastes. Jesus came to show us who God is, Right? And what we're talking about today is the reality of heaven in the midst of grief, in the midst of suffering. I want to tell you a bit about Mary. I want you to think about this, Mary Magdalene. The first people to arrive at the tomb on Resurrection Sunday, they were realists. They were not gullible fanatics. All right, so sometimes we paint uh, people who followed Jesus, and, um, and maybe even if you're listening online or you're here today and maybe someone drug you here or maybe you saw somebody make a Facebook post that maybe you have questions for God and already you're skeptical. Already you're saying, well, I'm a realist or I'm agnostic or I tried trusting God, but I only felt disappointment. And for all of us who are believers in following Jesus, maybe that was a very real part of how we used to view the world. Well, these followers of Jesus were very real people with real questions, and Mary's grief of losing her Lord was very real. She was first to arrive at the tomb. Think about this. It wasn't Peter, it wasn't James or John. We all know it would have been love to be Peter, right? Because everything was a competition to him. I'll be first, right? So I'll be first to him. No. It was a woman that Jesus rescued from certain death. The Saturday before was the Jewish Sabbath. I was thinking about this. So she actually was forced to wait 24 hours until Sunday, according to Jewish custom. So while a lot of other people in Jerusalem maybe slept good that night, Mary was up all night wondering why. Has anybody ever been there? Mary was up all night wondering why 
did my Lord not come through for me, right? Why were these empty promises? Were my eyes lying to me when I saw miracles? Because now the one who used to heal people didn't heal himself. Can we all go there, and I, right? Let's really imagine, imagine you're Mary. That's what I love to do. When I read scripture, and I want to encourage you to do this. I like to pause and then reread it. Because this is real people. Everybody not a lot. At least give me like a Baptist nod. You don't have to go full Pentecostal. Just give me at least like, oh, yeah, I see what you're saying. Okay. This is real woman with real grief who was truly saved when rocks were held above their head and Jesus stood in between her and judgment. And this is her Lord. This is her Savior. This is the one who saw her not as a piece of property, as a possession, as something to be used, but as a woman with dignity. Jesus saw her for who she really was. So now she's thinking of something in the Shema, which is from dust you come to dust you return. So this is going over her mind like Jesus has gone to dust. He said he would rise again, but it hasn't happened. She hasn't fully done the work of grieving, right? She didn't show up on Saturday with the anointing oil and the flowers. She's just been having to think about this for three days now. So she waits and she comes and she's first to the tomb as the sun is barely coming over the horizon, right? Think about this. I like to picture things. The sun's barely coming up. She's first to the tomb, but the tomb has the stone missing. The stone is missing. And she's thinking these ruthless Roman soldiers, right, who she watched gamble with his garments. She watched them torture him. She's thinking they went in to get the grave clothes to make another couple bucks, right? They took his body, and those are the words that we read. Where did they take his body? She's thinking, not only is my Lord really gone, but to add insult to injury. Has anybody ever been in a place of grief and then like, you're already down and then something worse, something again happens bad, right? And so this, this, is, this is how Mary feels like, I'm already down and now you're gonna take my Lord's body. Can I tell you this? Three things today. Number one, when we suffer, we acknowledge our need for heaven. Can we all say that out loud? When we suffer, we acknowledge our need for heaven. I was reading this book um, about two years ago by this Christian psychologist, and I love what she said. Grief causes us to realize we were made for a perfect place. It's our way of protesting. Think about that. I love that. It's our way of protesting. Because how many uh, in your life, this is probably anybody over the age of 30 or 40 or 12 even, have suffered grief? Okay? I want to tell you, even if you're not in a moment of grief today, can you let this be a foundational doctrine for the person you work with or the neighbor who's going through something? Okay? Let's get some foundational understanding so that when we face it, or if your neighbor's facing it, I want you to think about this. When we suffer, we are acknowledging our need 
our body, our emotions, we're, what we're saying is we know there's a place where there is no cancer and there is no pain and there is no suffering. And there's no revenge. There's no reborn. Amen? Right? Think about that. That's a powerful thought. So Mary is grieving the loss of her Lord. They have moved my Lord's body. So she didn't say they have moved Jesus' body. She said they have moved my Lord's body. You see, to Mary, this was her Lord. Right? This was very personal to her. And we've all faced different things. I was thinking about different times in my life, and I was like, man, how could that happen? Uh, we, Danielle and I went to school with a young girl named Leah, and when Leah Dixon's car hit a tree, we were told it would be a miracle if she made it. She was unable to move or speak for weeks. Weeks turned into months. And can you imagine hearing that your daughter was likely going to be in this vegetative state, would never recover? One doctor even suggested pulling the plug. And every parent has to make their own choice. But for Joel and Gina, they decided to believe God was going to heal her, even if it was gradual. And she did recover. And it took months of therapy, but she recovered. And this is a girl I was running through these halls with, right? So why, why do some of these things happen? All right, let's look at a modern day, like a quick testimony of God's healing coming quick. Look at Jerry Jones. Can you just wave at us real quick? This is a guy in our church family. Everybody say, hi, Jerry, come on. Can you stand up real quick? I won't make you stand up for long, just real quick. So he's been serving as an usher here for 185 years now. Now, he's a good friend. I was good, I was good friends with his son actually growing up. And um, just so happened that when he had a stroke, the other day, neurological doctor was within like 20 feet, and the stroke had caused, you know, problems that went all the way up over. So he was able to get in on the surgery, and now he's walking and talking. It's a miracle. Can we praise God? So here's what I choose to do. I choose to praise God for the times he heals immediately. I choose to praise God for when he heals gradual. And I choose to praise God for when we're healed in heaven. I just choose to praise God. Amen? All right, so we hold on to scriptures. When we're grieving, we hold on to scriptures like Psalm 126, 5. Those who sow in tears will reap with shouts of joy. Number two, when we suffer, Jesus grieves with us from heaven. Now, I won't talk about Nancy too long because it turns out you can't cry and preach at the same time. I tried that last week, didn't work. But when we suffer, Jesus grieves with us. Can I say it again? Let's all read it, actually. I know, probably too much reading today. One more time. When we suffer, Jesus grieves with us from heaven. That's what the Bible tells us. He feels empathy. Do you know God feels empathy? When Mary and Martha lost their brother, Jesus felt that empathy. Yes, it was in his will to wait, right, to the third day to then go raise Lazarus from the dead. But Jesus felt true empathy. He was moved to tears. In fact, the word says that God is near to the brokenhearted. And often when we grieve, we feel God is far away. God is ignoring us. No, it couldn't be any different. He's kneeling down with you saying, I'm right here. And I know in that moment, your emotions will lie to you. And your emotions will tell you, no, he's far. He's ignoring you. He's not ignoring you. He's near with you. In Luke 19, 41 through 44, 
we see this. Jesus feels empathy and compassion towards the people of Israel when they were not perceiving him to be their, their Lord and their Savior. You see, when Jesus, when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, Jesus, would that you, even you, had known on this day that the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side. He knew about the times when the Syrians would come over and, and attack uh, Israel and Jerusalem and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you, and they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. So Jesus was saying, here, your king, your Lord, your Messiah, the one prophesied about is here. He's saying, I'm here. He's speaking in third person. He's saying, I'm here, and you did not perceive. Now, there were people who perceived. But in large part, the Jewish people didn't, re didn't receive Jesus, right? We read about that in Romans 5, 6, and 7, that it caused the Jewish people to reject. It causes them to to come back to Christ through what's called jealousy, right? That they were prompted to jealousy because the Gentiles were offered salvation. And so Jesus is there first to the, the Jewish people. They reject him. And then what? To the Gentiles. And he's offering salvation. He's offering a picture of the father, a picture of the one who loved them, a picture of how good God is. And they were rejecting. Did Jesus just say, forget it? No, he wept. Everybody just say this with me. He wept. In fact, how many guys were like growing up and you had to memorize a verse? Come on, you pick that one. Right? I was, that, I was that kid. I was like, Jesus wept. I got it. Two words. Nailed it. I'm telling you, Jesus feels grief when you grieve. When we can't fight tears... When our eyes are filled with sorrow and our heart is heavy, when we're questioning, I want you to look at Psalm 42. David writes about this, and I think it's beautiful that God lets the lament happen in Scripture. My tears have been my food day and night. While they say to me all day long, where is your God? And I know a number of you have had a miscarriage in here. You've had things go on in your life that you're like, I can't explain. And when you have that, isn't that the question, where is God? These are questions for God. These are, these are things that we, we can't just immediately explain with some quippy little theological statement that rhymes like, no, we just feel, where is God? But I love what David says in this psalm and in so many psalms. These things I remember as I pour out my soul. Oh, that I would go with the crowd and lead into the procession of God's house with glad shouts of joy and songs of praise. Why so downcast, oh, my soul? Put your hope in God. And isn't that what we just did? We all came together in the house of God with shouts of praise. And doesn't it do something for your soul when you do that? Just one person, let's try this side. Doesn't it do something for your soul when you do that? Right? When like everybody's together, it's suddenly you realize, oh man, I'm in this thing called the family of God. And it is special. 
It's powerful. It's unique. There's nothing like the family of God on planet Earth. It's unbelievable. When we grieve, we must do what David did and put our hope in God. And I'm going to say something I said last week. I'm going to repeat it on purpose. I want you to hear this. you got to do what David did. He says it again at the end in verse, four, in verse 11. Why so downcast, O my soul? Why the turmoil within me? Put your hope in God. So David's talking to himself. Is David schizo? He's not schizo. He just knows that his emotions are lying to him. And so his emotions, right, his racing thoughts, his feelings, he knows right now are combating truth. And so what he has to do is put his emotions subservient to truth. Right? Subservient to truth. That's why some of the best, uh, or I'm sorry, some of the worst advice you can ever hear you know, you can watch a Hallmark movie and hear, oh, just follow your heart. Turn to your neighbor and say, that's dumb. Don't follow your heart. Jeremiah 29 says the heart's deceitful above all things. You follow the word of God. Come on, right? Because your heart's going to tell you in that moment, God abandoned you. God didn't heal. God didn't provide. You needed that job and you, whatever the unanswered prayer was, your emotions will lie to you. And in that moment, you say, why so downcast, oh, my soul? Hey, get your act together. Put your hope in God. You can look in a mirror if you want to. Just surround the mirror with Sharpie. Well, maybe dry erase, something. Get some scriptures on the wall. Come on, right? And put your hope in God. I've said this before, I want to say it again. Sometimes you have to worship your way out. Right, babe? Danielle and I have done that a few times. All right? Life's terrible right now, so we're going to worship our way out. Right? When there's an unanswered prayer, when there's something. When we suffer, when our loved ones suffer, hear me, we realize how short life is. Don't we? We realize the brevity of life. I want to say this too. When we suffer, I know it's very complicated today, right? It's so simple. Look at this. We find our eternal hope is heaven. I want to make this so simple today. When we suffer, when a prayer goes unanswered, or you suffer in your body, I'm approaching 40, and there's parts of my body that feel like I'm approaching 90. Has anybody ever had sciatic pain? It's horrible. Heal me, Jesus. I asked somebody to pray for me the other day. They almost laid hands on me. I was like, that's all. Just don't, you know? He was like, I was like, just, just pray and believe, brother. <laughs> that should have stayed behind the filter. I apologize. I wish that filter would kick in more often than it does. Luke 12, Jesus is teaching about being ready for his return, all right? And we're going to read this together. All right, so I just want you to read along. This is the ESV. You can read in the app uh, or if you downloaded the notes or your own version. Stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning and be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast. All right, so pause for a second. 
Before we keep reading, I need you to understand something. We're going to talk more about this next week. But listen, having an eager anticipation for Jesus to come is one of the most foundational, important doctrines you can have, things you can believe, okay? And you got to get this in your spirit that Jesus is coming and is going to make all things new, right? If you were at the memorial service for Nancy, you heard uh, me and somebody else say that there was multiple times when Nancy had such an excitement for Jesus coming in the new heavens and the new earth that she would, in a funny way, sarcastically ruin a good moment. Like we were in Portugal visiting all these beautiful places and we're like, look how beautiful this castle is. And she's like, it's all going to burn. It's all going to burn. And she goes, Right? And we're like, can we just enjoy the moment? Can we just enjoy the castle? She's like, Jesus is going to make all things new. This is just dust. It's just stuff man-made. It's nothing. It's junk. It's junk. It's all going to burn. Seriously. Ask her friends. We weren't the only ones who heard her say that. She had such this anticipation for Jesus who was coming. And you need that. I need that. And when I read the word, I'm reminded of this. So look at what Jesus said. Right? Blessed are those servants whom the master, everybody say the master. That's Jesus, okay? When the master finds awake when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at the table. He will come and serve them. Wow. If he comes in the second watch or in the third and finds them awake, blessed are those servants. I know there's a lot of analogies here, but let's say awake could mean like believing, fully, full faith, believing that Jesus is who he is, okay? But know this, that if the master, if Jesus, if the master of the house had known what hour the thief was coming, he would not have left his house to be broken into two. This is this metaphor. So Jesus comes like a thief, but look what he says. You must also be ready for the son of man is coming at an hour you do not expect. The son of man is coming at an hour you do not expect expect. Jesus is the son of God and the son of man, and he's coming like a thief in the night, right? It says that two people will be walking. One will go and the other will not. Look what he says in in, uh, Luke chapter 12, verse 8. I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me or me before men, the son of man, he's speaking in third person, the son of man will also acknowledge before the angels of God. But the one who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. I don't know about you, but I do not want to be denied before the angels of God. So it's verses like this that give you this healthy fear of the Lord that Jesus is coming back. Amen? So let's talk about that. 1 Thessalonians, a lot of scripture today. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, if you got your Bibles turned there, or if the app scroll there. He says in verse 13, we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep. That doesn't mean napping. That means they've passed away. That you may not grieve as others who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and we're going to come back to this. Because we believe in the resurrection, because we believe that Jesus died and rose again. 
we declare to you this word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left, and who's alive? Raise your hand. Awesome, that you're in that category, just so you know. We who are alive until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. The Lord himself will descend from heaven with the cry of a command, with the voice of an archangel and the sound of a trumpet. <laughs> I just had a funny story across my mind, but I'm going to try not to be ADD. Actually, I will. Has anybody else grown up in like early Pentecost, like Ron Cannoli? There was a couple times I came home and trumpet sounds. I thought Jesus was coming back. I was like, oh my gosh, I'm ready. You know, anybody grow up with like a, a church mama playing Ron Cannoli and all the time like, bah, 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 bah. okay, I'm ready. There was a couple times that I was about to be left behind. Me and Tim LaHaye and Nicholas Cage was, <laughs> I thought. And then I was like, nope, I know Jesus. I'm telling you, it was a couple times. The Lord himself will descend with the cry of a command the voice of an angel, and the sound of a trumpet. Now, I think that is very literal, by the way. I think there's going to be actual huge trumpets blown. Anybody else with me on that? All right. I, I kind of tend towards the R.C. Sproul version of the Bible, which is everything is literal unless it's obvious that it's poetic, okay? Like the song, like uh, song of Solomon and some different things like that. We who are alive, who are left, will be caught up. Everybody say caught up. All right, so if your friend is talking with you and they say, listen, rapture is not even in the Bible. The word rapture is not in the Bible, but it's the word, the word rapture is the word that people came up with to describe this moment of being caught up. Okay? Being caught up in the air. By the way, who thinks that's going to be pretty cool? Pretty awesome, right? We who are alive will be caught up together to meet him in the clouds, to meet the Lord in the air. So we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. You see, when someone's grieving, when someone's suffering, when they're asking questions, that's where you can encourage, you add courage by speaking to them about the day when Jesus makes all things new. And again, if this is you, I want you to hear this today. Jesus is going to make all things new. Let me say it again. Jesus is going to make all things new. Amen? Now, concerning these times and seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. You yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there's peace and security, then suddenly destruction will come upon them. As labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for the day... Um, for the day to surprise you like a thief, for you're children of, of the light, children of the day. We are not of the night of the darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep aware and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, all right, so he's using a metaphor right here, the day, the light of the gospel, the light of Jesus Christ, let us be sober, having the breastplate of faith and love, the helmet of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, is what we opened up with, right? But to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus. Therefore, encourage one another. Did you hear that part? God has not de destined you to suffer wrath. You need to hear this. God has not destined you to suffer the punishment of your mistakes and my mistake. God has not done that. God has already sent Jesus to suffer the punishment. Jesus suffered pain so you and I don't have to suffer eternal pain. That is the gospel. Jesus took your place. Amen? Jesus took your place. He, uh, he 
secured salvation for you. Wow. So in Scripture, we find the answers to life's biggest questions. Questions about suffering, right? Questions about sin. Why is there sin? Why is there revenge? Right? Why is there violence? I mean, we read it, 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 it right there in Genesis in our Bible reading plan. Actually, it was only a few days ago, right, that we read about Cain and Abel. That we read about sin. That we read about them eating from the one tree that they were not supposed to, right? And so sin entered. So Satan's the prince of the air. That's what the Bible calls him right now. But how many guys know that there's a day when he's cast into the lake of fire forever? We're going to learn more. That's a little teaser for end time study. Come out on a Wednesday night in February. So God is open to us asking these questions. He's not mad at you when you have questions about suffering. He's not mad at you when you have unanswered, unanswered prayers and you, and, and you want to talk to him about that. Because, again, the grief and suffering can cause you, or if someone you know is going through something, it can cause them to go away from God. Or it can cause them to come near to God. I want to invite you to let it draw you near to God. Let's go back to Mary's story. As Mary Magdalene walked that dusty road up to Jesus' tomb, she thought this is it. He's really gone, dust to dust. As she got closer to the tomb, right, she realized it's open. She must have thought these terrible soldiers were trying to profit from him again. They're, they're selling his stuff or they moved his body. They've taken my Lord, John chapter 20, verse 2. So she raced back to the disciples to give them the news, and they're all hiding and she told Peter, they took my Lord out of the tomb. They moved him. So again, this is not this fanatic. This is, she's a realist, okay? She knows how ruthless the soldiers are. She knows death is abrupt and final, and she feels her Lord is gone. Now, by the way, all the disciples were also grieving. The Bible says they were hiding in a room. So days earlier, they're a part of the revival crusade. Everybody's getting healed. Some of their relatives. The Bible says even some of their, their parents were healed. They saw this Jesus transform not just their life, but all of Judea, all of Jerusalem, turned upside down. They saw him miraculously escape through crowds filled with soldiers trying to kill him. They saw him pick up an ear and just put it back on. Who thinks that would be pretty amazing? Okay. But now they're hiding and they're grieving and they're questioning, are they going to make it? Are they going to be crucified? Would you guys be thinking that too? Right? Right? So there they are, and Jesus comes, surprises them. And, you know, he doesn't use the door, of course. He just walks right in. And I love who Jesus approaches first, don't you? Does anybody know? Thomas. The one who doubts the most 
See, that's the shepherd in Jesus. Some of you have friends that are so far from God, so mad at God. And you think, man, I don't even know. Jesus will show up to them. Be praying for them. Be praying that Jesus shows up and reveals himself to them. Jesus, like a good shepherd, comes to Thomas and says, put your hands in my wounds. Right? Wow. So they're hiding, they're questioning. And the Bible says that he shows up to hundreds of people. So again, we're talking about the resurrection hope of Jesus Christ. And for some of you who maybe are listening online or in the room, and you're skeptical because you feel it, it defies logic. Jordan, I have to have some logic. I have to, I have to see some, some logical reasons. Well, I want to tell you, they have found relics in archaeology that reflect the Bible stories. I personally, when I was visiting Israel five years ago, I got to witness something that they had just discovered months before in this archaeological dig where they found this stone of Pontius Pilate. And it was one among many of these little mini thrones that a king had built to rebuild the Colosseum. And he had his own version of the gladiators fighting and his own version of the cages and the animals and everything. And it was just crazy. And I mean, they have found things from the temple. They have found different archaeological things that support the biblical narrative. Let me give you number two. This comes from Timothy Keller. There's a great book called Reason for God I read a couple years ago. Science can't give you meaning in life. And so if you're a skeptic today or you're listening online and you say, well, listen, I trust science, right? Well, first of all, science is just always discovering anyway. That's what science is. It's in a constant state of discovery. But second of all, science can't explain to you meaning in life. And I'll add to it, it can't explain love or music or pain, right? These are things that only God could explain. Science can't tell you what's right and wrong. Science can't tell you what to do with your guilt. Science can't explain falling in love, right? How you guys remember falling in love? How you guys remember grade school? Circle yes or no, right? I had a girl reply, maybe. I'm like, what the heck? I'll never forget it. It was Lee Harnett. I was like, Pfft. or no, it was Corey. I don't know, it was one of the Harnets. We're all Harnets. It's... Anyway, all right, let's move it on. That went downhill fast. Dave is going to make fun of me that for years, that exact line just there. <laughs> Where do I go from there? Science can't explain that. Seriously, science can't explain real love, okay? Science can't explain, like, when Daniel walked down the aisle and I almost passed out. How many of you guys know what I'm talking about? Like, you know? You absolutely, Ray, no, Ray, come on, you're a good man. See, this man's in love. He said, yes, good job. Science can't explain that. God put that there. Isn't he creative? So if you argue, as many do, if there's a God, then why is there senseless evil and suffering in the world? Why are there wars and thousands of deaths and grieving parents and siblings and children? Why is there cancer? Why is there diseases that rob the lives of people? And when we suffer, we tend to think God is not powerful enough to stop it. Or we believe this, I'm trying to be very real with you. God doesn't care 
He's not good enough to want to stop it. And if you've ever suffered grief, you've wrestled with that. Come on, right? Give me at least a nod. You know. So, what do we do? Because like my friend, like my brother-in-law Jimmy said, either God is good or he isn't. And so reason has to hit a roadblock at some point in your life when you just give up. Amen? And you say, even though I don't have all the answers, I'm going to surrender to God who does. That's faith. I know some of you are looking at me like, Jordan, I need something more solid than that. I need something more foundational than that. What do you mean just faith? Guys, faith is believing in the one who has all the answers and admitting that you do not. That's faith. Faith is believing in the heaven that Jesus has already created, a perfect place, free of revenge, of death, of sickness and sorrow. And listen to this. Jesus made a place for you there. And by the way, I believe exactly what he said in John 14 and 15, that he has a house just for you. Brandon, he's got a house with your name on it. Come on, right? He's got a place just for you at the table. You're invited. And it has nothing to do with how good you've been. Jesus doesn't come to you and say, okay, I know you suffered, but were you also a Boy Scout? He does not. He says, all right, let's look at your church attendance. Okay, you're about a two out, of, two out of four. No, he doesn't do that. He doesn't say, well, let's look at the social economic status of where you live. Were you born on the right side of the tracks? Nope. Let's look at your race. Nope. What Jesus looks for is have you trusted in him to forgive you of your sin? Period. And I know some people who hear that, that, that wild of grace, they say, oh, Jordan, you're going to give people liberty to sin. No, when you really understand grace, you want nothing to do with sin because you're so thankful that God has chosen you and forgiven you. Grace is revolutionary. It changes your life forever. Grace is realizing that God has given you a perfect heaven free of the punishment of your sin. Grace is realizing that Father God has adopted you and given you his last name. And everything that belongs to him now belongs to you. Reason has to hit a roadblock where you say, even though I have suffered and even though I have grieved and even though I didn't understand and life had a big fat question mark, I believe in the one who has a big exclamation mark, who knows the beginning from the end. Amen? I want to invite the worship team up. And I'm also going to invite the prayer team up to the sides So the author of the Gospels, guys, they wrote their accounts. I'm going to give you one more logical reason. Because sometimes when I try to witness to people and share the Gospel, every now and then I'll talk with someone who is very, uh, they want proof. How many of you just raise your hand if you were the type that you, you kind of like proof? You're kind of like a, a, a very clear plan. Everybody, a couple, couple of you, yeah. I want to give you one more. The Gospel writers... Okay, including Paul, wrote 
what they wrote within years of being with Jesus. Let me give you an illustration. If you were to tell me in 2002, there was a shooting at my college campus, right? I'd be able to tell you, no, there wasn't. I was there. I have a firsthand account. You get what I'm saying? I have a firsthand account. But if you were to tell me in 1825, there was a shooting at my college campus in Pensacola, I'd say, oh, because I didn't have a firsthand account. But you have to understand, these guys had first-hand accounts, and they all wrote this about the same Jesus. All within 50 years, they gave their account. I'm telling you, it's real. The resurrection is real.